Welcome to the podcast, Potables Network. You're listening to Power Bombs and Potables, brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at PowerBombsPPN for pro wrestling news and talk. You can also follow us on Instagram and untapped at Process Potables. Make sure, of course, to check out our other shows on Twitter at Process Potables uh, and at PucksPPN. Hockey starting up in just another week or so. Sixers looking great, so... Great time to get back into the swing of things. I'm sure Dan and Steve on the uh, Process Potables end are going to be giving you a lot of great content in the next couple of weeks, especially as we're going to get through that short season to the playoffs with the Sixers. For more news, blog posts, and info on breweries we've worked with and more, check out www.processpotables.com. So this week, I am going to really talk about the, the, the wonderful thing that we saw this week. And by that, I mean... Everything that wasn't WWE, yes, AEW, tremendous, Impact Wrestling continues to be tremendous. We're going to talk about it all on this week's Power Bombs and Potables. Welcome to this week's edition of Power Bombs and Potables, part of the podcast Potables Network. My name is Corey Oates, and I'm your host every single week. We drop Monday morning with a brand new episode as we recap the week that was in professional wrestling, the news and the things that I liked, and maybe not so much hated even, from the week. We talk about it all. I try to get it done within... Uh, an hour. That's usually my time frame that I set out for myself. But like every week, we start off. It's the easiest way to do it. We start off with this week's... Got to get this gimmick can in my hand. That was weak. Quick sips. Really disappointed in myself on that one. Uh, this week, I'm digging into the reserve of things that I have. Not necessarily because it's good, just because, well, I have a lot of beer that, you know, ends up getting one left in the um, in the old fridge. So we're going with a with a classic. We're going Firestone Walker on this one. Revolution number 006 uh, it's from the Revolving Hop Series. This is from a couple years back. I remember I got this pack, I want to say, for the very first NXT War Games. And I got that, and I feel like I watched that with Dan, and me and him had a couple different things from this um, from this pack here. Yeah, it says, drink within 90 days. Well, there's been a lot of 90 days since this, so we're going to call this one in the old, uh, in the old ring. Uh, this one clocks in at 5.9 ABV, brewed and canned, blah, 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 blah. they don't give you any of the uh, fun shit here. Well, that's disappointing, but um, yeah, here's to several 90 days worth of uh, shelf span. Tastes just as fun. No worries there. You know, very hoppy. Firestone Walker has a lot of um, great things, the Union Jack and stuff like that. They're all generally hoppy. I feel Firestone Walker is another one of those breweries, to me, to me, that's almost like Lagunitas, where I feel so many of the beers 
taste the exact same. Like they use the same hops, which isn't the case always. But to me, uh, and this is me going off on a tangent, I feel like Lagunitas, all their beers taste the same to me. And I've even been to their, their one brewery out in Chicago. I had a great time, but I sampled like 12 beers and they all tasted the same to me. Either way, on to the news this week. With the cruise industry still at a standstill, Chris Jericho has announced that his next Rock and Rager at Sea uh, trip has been postponed. And the interesting thing was, since the start of the show, we're only 19 weeks in. This cruise was announced. This cruise completely sold out. And now it's already being... <laughs> Uh, moved. I believe it wasn't supposed to sail until next January. So um, the Twitter account for the Rock and Rager at Sea tweeted the following. After careful consideration and the caution for everyone's health and safety, we've made the difficult but necessary decision to postpone the triple whammy. Uh, we will now sail October 21st to 25th, 2021 from Miami, Florida. Last week, the CDC extended the no-sale order in the United States to September of 2020 for what it's worth, isn't that far off. Uh, Jericho sent an audio message to the people who booked uh, on the cruise and says that uh, it was supposed to take place in February. There you go. It was close enough uh, where he addressed the postponement and he said, end quote, even though February is still seven months away, guidelines are changing in all of our cities and I want to be extremely cautious and make sure that we can throw the epic party you've come to expect from the Rock and Rager at sea. He went on to say, I want everyone to be safe. I want everyone to have a great time. Uh, we do not do social distancing on the Rager. We hang out. We pack into the bar and into the casinos. Uh, we watch the matches uh, and the rock and roll shows and the comedy shows. Uh, we do that with the complete safety and health in mind. So I want to give you that same experience. Since the cruise is sold out, those who book trips will be sent info on how to transfer their cabin. If there was ever one that I would have wanted to go to, it would have been this one. Mainly because the other band is Striper. I would love to be on a cruise ship where I could watch wrestling and see Striper perform every night for like four nights straight. That's the dream right there. We reported a few weeks back that SummerSlam would uh, not be taking place in Boston this year, where they have a contract for several years to produce SummerSlam. WWE has officially confirmed that SummerSlam will not be taking place in Boston. Well, it only took them so long because Boston made the decision for them. But the WWE statement reads this. In coordination with our local partners, government officials, and TD Garden, WWE's SummerSlam and related events are no longer tasting, taking place in Boston. Refunds are available at the original point of purchase. We are grateful to the city of Boston for their long-standing partnership and look forward to holding WWE events in the TD Garden in the future. SummerSlam will stream live on Sunday, August the 23rd at 7 p.m. Eastern on the WWE Network and information regarding a new location for the event is forthcoming. Um, pretty sure it's just going to take place at the Performance Center. Yeah. Unless they're going to do something crazy like a like SummerSlam Fight Island. But what the fuck's the point in that when you have your own building that you can just keep doing your shit in? AEW announced that they are going to be putting on a women's tag team tournament this summer, which they announced this past week, you know, halfway through the summer. <laughs> but uh, the tournament is going to be referred to as the Deadly Draw. 16 women, 8 teams, and it's AEW's Women's Tag Team Cup Tournament. So the thing is, it's going to feature 8 teams but the competitors are not revealed yet. The other thing is that AEW has no women's tag team, so this is going to be a tournament comprised of just a bunch of women that they put together. Which, for what it's worth, isn't a horrible idea. 
Why, you ask? Because with only having one champion, that being Hikaru Shida, there's nothing else really going on. You can use this as a way to break off teams into small feuds, even possibly long feuds. Uh, this could be where you see the Ali... Um, okay, I take it back. There is a tag team. There's the Nightmare Sisters of Ali and Brandy Rhodes, who we did see on Dynamite this week. I think we'll talk about that at some point. But the point is, this will probably be the catalyst for the breakup of that team. Okay, I'm fine with that. I could see them having, you know, a decent feud. Uh, Brandy and Allie, that is, over that. More information on that tournament to come. Keith Lee is no longer a dual champion in NXT as he has officially relinquished the North American Championship. This past week's episode of NXT opened with General Manager William Regal introducing Keith Lee via Zoom. Lee talked about his path to becoming a double champion and revealed that he'd be vacating the North American title. However, he wanted as many people as possible to have the chance at the title uh, as he did. So Regal announced that there will be a series of triple threat matches over the coming weeks to determine the competitors in a ladder match that will end up culminating at NXT TakeOver 30 to crown a new NXT North American champion. Well, thank God that we decided that we weren't going to go with another tournament. Because we all know that this year, professional wrestling has had enough tournaments for the next five years uh, over titles that have been vacated. Impact Wrestling uh, announced another new signee of a former WWE superstar that has joined the company. During this past Tuesday's Impact, a video played uh, which had the debut of Brian Myers, and it was very well done. There was uh, several quotes in the background, like, good hand, on the right track, trust the process, just missing something. And at the end of this, Myers looks up. Very well done, because if you look at Brian Myers' past, is Brian Myers came into the company at the exact same time as Matt Cardona, a.k.a. Zack Ryder, and was a tag team guy for a very long time. And... Through several different tag teams, uh, up to and including uh, one with uh, even uh, Lance Archer that lasted, I believe, two episodes of SmackDown back in the day, and his losing streak. Kurt Hawkins has never been given his fair share in WWE, and he is a, you know, not, not to use this term lightly, but he is a good hand. He knows how to wrestle. He can be entertaining whether you want him to have a 200-match losing streak or put on a 30-minute main event. He can do it. But he's a professional because he doesn't complain and just, just does his thing. Uh, him being uh, back on the Impact roster is going to be tremendous for him. And we're going to talk about Impact Wrestling uh, this week, so there's more to come on that. If you watched Dynamite this week, you saw the return of Sammy Guevara, who was only out of action for one month. Tony Khan says that he believes Sammy Guevara has become a better person in the few weeks he was gone from the company, uh, doing sensitivity training, uh, which was why he was allowed to return. Uh, Tony Khan quote on said, Sammy completed four weeks of extensive sensitivity training and his curriculum included subject matters of tolerance, gender, race relations, and why people's words matter. Uh, this is what Khan told Sports Illustrated. Uh, quote on, during his suspension, he was very contrite uh, I asked him to use that time to try and become a better person, and I think he did, end quote. Adding, uh, Sammy was off tele television for a month and suspended without pay for 30 days, and I think that it was the right time for Sammy to come back because he's shown that he's very sorry and that he can change. 
He spent every day over the past month trying to prove that. Guevara's salary during the time was donated to the Women's Center of Jacksonville. As you recall, the uh, superstar, that being Sammy Guevara, was suspended from AEW after a comment that he made on a podcast from 2016 where he used the term, I want to rape that girl, referring to WWE star Sasha Banks. When uh, this came back, you know, we'll talk about this on this week, but he does make his return at the very end of um, this week's episode. WWE programming is available in a number of countries and stations all around the world, but it looks like WWE lost one of its uh, recent deals. Now, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter reported that after two decades, WWE lost its deal with Sky Sports Italy. Now, the main Sky Sports, Sky Sports UK, lost their deal a long time ago with the WWE. Sky Sports made the decision to drop the WWE months ago, but WWE offered to air old pay-per-views like they have been doing with FS1, and they did well. After losing Sky, WWE made a deal with Discovery. It's being said that Sky Sports did have an interest in WWE after turning them down before. Uh, However, Sky just signed a deal with AEW this past week, and AEW set to start airing Friday night in a time slot starting July the 31st. WWE also lost, like I said, Sky Germany on Austria and UK in the recent years. And finally, AEW star Matt Hardy posted a new video on his YouTube page uh, yesterday, I believe, saying that he's planning to drop all of his gimmicks and just become Matthew Hardy. This is going to be a long quote. I'm going to try and get this in really quick. He says, when I first made the decision to come to All Elite Wrestling, I was excited and I thought the sky's the limit. No doubt. What I expected when I first debuted as Broken Matt Hardy at AEW Wrestling is every single night, every single Wednesday at Dynamite, a sold-out arena across America, I thought there would be a thousand people screaming at the top of their lungs, delete, delete, delete. But that wasn't what happened. I, uh, What I didn't expect was that Broken Matt Hardy would debut at the first ever AEW Empty Arena event which is where I debuted. And Broken Matt never performed in front of AEW fans. Uh, That's one of the coolest things about All Elite Wrestling is the passion of the fan base. And for sure, I came in and I did Broken Matt. He's such an interactive, fan-friendly performer, character gimmick, whatever. I was like, man, this is going to be a hit. This will work. This is going to be great. This is going to be my best and greatest run yet. But that's not what happened, and that was frustrating. So I decided to change the course, and as any good professional does, I decided to do like a real highlight reel. But it's best to do the best of Matt Hardy. So I give you Matt Hardy's best moments. Matt Hardy's best personas. Let's wrap it all up into one and do a Matt Hardy highlight reel. Kind of with the opposite of what my brother's being asked to do somewhere else. So we do the best of Matt Hardy, and I'm helping out younger talent, which is something I legitimately do in real life, on and off camera. Private party, I really do mentor those guys. I started a storyline with Sammy Guevara, but that doesn't go too far because Sammy gets suspended, and that's frustrating. But I know I'm not the only one that's frustrated today. I'm sure most of the majority of Americans are frustrated. It is a frustrating time in this country. I mean, we have so much division. It's insane. It's chaos. Democrats, Republicans, we're in the midst of a killer pandemic that has killed over 140,000 Americans, and both sides of the political parties are trying to weaponize it towards each other for their own gain. There's so much racial injustice, social injustice, so many problems going on. So much division. I can't stand it. It's frustrating. And so I decided to do my part and try and heal some of this division, trying to do what I can to put it back together, trying to be a voice of reason. Uh, I've had a lot of life experiences, so maybe now it's time for me on AEW programming to just be real and be someone I've never been on TV or on screen before, and that's just me. Maybe it's time for me to be Matthew Hardy. Maybe it's time to just be me. End quote. 
Very interesting comments. And that's it for this week's Quick Sips. All right, so I'm going to take another quick sip of beer here because that was about 14 minutes of news that I just read off for you. So this week on Raw, we saw the return of Mustafa Ali, who, for what it's worth, has been just lying in the weeds. If you recall, a couple months back, they were starting to air vignettes that he was, they were shooting these vignettes and it was in like alleyways and stuff like that. And you were waiting for the re-debut. Then those videos stopped. Then there was those hacker videos, which is what revealed the Sonya Deville turn on Mandy Rose. And that was always rumored to be Mustafa Ali. And those just stopped. So his return comes on the heels of Extreme Rules, where MVP uh, has now pretty much named himself the United States champion after... After Apollo Crews didn't make the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, still working off the injury angle from the from the attack from Lashley a couple of weeks back. Earlier in this show as well, which is interesting, R-Truth loses the 24-7 title to Shelton Benjamin. I'm pretty sure like they said that this is Shelton Benjamin's first title reign in like 15 years in WWE, despite the fact that he was there up through about 2010. 11, maybe 10, you lose, you start to, you lose the years of, um, of people, but I'm pretty sure that that's what they said. And now they've pretty much created this stable that is now Bobby Lashley, MVP and Shelton Benjamin. So when they're out here, we get Cedric Alexander and Ricochet who bring back Mustafa Ali and they challenge MVP Lashley and Shelton Benjamin to a match. So naturally, because Ali's returning, they win this match. Not over the stable of a guy who should be in your main events. Not of the veteran who is now going around saying he's one of your champions. And a brand new champion, as much as the 24-7 title is a comedy gimmick, doesn't mean that Shelton Benjamin's matches are going to be comedy at all. So I didn't agree with that finish. Good to see Mustafa Ali back on TV. The dude is talented. The dude's young. And at this point, he's a fresh face on their TV, which is, you know, really dying every week. The whole Ruby Riot, Liv Morgan thing, I I don't get it. At first, Liv Morgan and Ruby Riot were kind of feuding. Now it almost seems like this awkward thing of a woman trying to get her friend back but nobody's seen Liv and and, and Ruby Riot's like telling Liv that she's doing these matches for her and tweeting and saying I hope you were watching and stuff like that like is this literally taking the step of Ruby using this as a catalyst to turn on Liv because if so at this point it's just a cold feud like, something to me says that there needs to be a resurgence of this friendship before you break it back down. But knowing WWE, I don't know if that's necessarily the direction they're going with how quickly they're hot-shotting things these days. You know, if you recall, the perfect example, they hot-shotted uh, angles that they moved off of pay-per-views to put on the TV. So it seems like they're really high on trying to find things to stir up their TV. If you recall, a couple months back with the whole Lana Lashley wedding, 
where it was interrupted by Rusev and Liv Morgan, was the highest rated segment on Raw in a very long time. People flipping through channels, they still like the almost you could refer to as Jerry Springer-esque uh, side of professional wrestling. And and this is just that. It is it, it is the, the Jerry Springer uh, side of wrestling, or the direction that I would think that this is going. It didn't help this match with Peyton Royce that was not a good match at all. Moving on with my thoughts on Raw, the Street Profits took on Angel Garza and Andrade in a good match. Apparently... Uh, Montez Ford was hurt for a couple weeks, and that's the reason why he's been off TV. Looking at his hair, it looks like he hasn't gotten that cut in a while, so maybe that could be it too. But either way, the Street Profits came out winning this match clean. Now, the thing that's weird to me is, first of all, I thought this match should have happened on the pay-per-view, which was only the night before. Again, this match... Much like the Sasha Banks match, which had a horrible finish on that pay-per-view, would have been the best two matches on that pay-per-view. They teased this whole entire build-up as Andrade and Angel Garza not getting along. Then they lose this match. And just when you'd expect there to be an issue between them, the issue is now with Zelina Vega. It just blows my mind. These two lose the match, they're on the same page, and she's chewing their asses out. Swig a beer. I don't get the point behind that. I don't like the dissension in that group. That group has a lot of potential. I do feel that they need something more. I'm not saying... They got something going with the Hispanics there. And the Hispanic culture... The people that are in it. Look at Andrade. Look at Angel Garza. Lucha House Party's not a good fit. Unless you want to break them up. There's Rey Mysterio. And his son who's under contract. Dominic. Dominic. Dominic could do good in that group. Put him as the, as the young boy. With the established. Andrade. Who's been. Andrade's not just been wrestling as long as he's been in WWE. This isn't his first rodeo. And then you have Angel Garza, who is, I believe, a third-generation wrestler. There's a lot of experience there that, that is brought to that table. Could be a good idea to maybe look into doing that. Especially because him being the son of Rey Mysterio, it's going to take him needing to be a heel, probably, before he's going to get anywhere as a babyface. Jumping around on this show, Dolph Ziggler comes out. And tells Drew McIntyre that he once again needs a title match. He, he needs it. He deserves it. So McIntyre has awarded the title opportunity to Dolph Ziggler. It's going to happen tomorrow night on Raw. Well, that's according to what they shot on this show. They have since removed that as being a title match. And it's still going to happen as a match. But the whole buildup of this match is he told Drew that Drew could pick the stipulation on this match. So, just like what Ziggler did to Drew, Drew has told Dolph that he's not going to reveal his stipulation until the right before the match. My thing is this. 
if this match tomorrow night isn't for the title, why does it need a stipulation? That has not been uh, even in- explained yet. So, for all we know, tomorrow night's stipulation match could then lead into a third stipulation match, which will take place at SummerSlam. Whew, I'm out of breath trying to put that one together. Bailey and Kyrie Sane had a match which I took the time to watch due to the fact that Kyrie Sane and Sasha Banks had a great match on Raw just a couple of weeks ago. This match wasn't as good. There was a couple of things that kind of made me cringe, actually, in this match. And not because they were bad, because they were just very close calls. And the end of this match, Bailey picked up Kyrie Sane for a suplex in the middle of the ring. Kyrie Sane reversed it, and as she's coming down to her feet, hooked Bailey into a DDT. But Bailey wasn't planted, and Bailey's head, like, Bailey's head came from you know five seven five eight wherever she stands to the mat in probably about a half second, and there was no protecting her. She looked a little shaken up after that. A couple minutes later, uh, they were doing a, an off the rope spot, and Kyrie Sane ducks, and Bailey just up and hits her with a with a it was either a knee or a kick. Right to the face. And Kyrie Sane didn't look like she blocked that either. Maybe a little receipt. But we know Kyrie Sane's very delicate. The ending of that match was cool. I, and I, we haven't seen this done before. Bailey went for the Bailey to belly. As she's got her in the belly, belly, belly to belly position. And Kyrie Sane rolls basically around her body. And Colmas kind of rolls her up via a crucifix. But then gets it into a roll up for the win. Now, you know how much I love roll-ups. I hate when they're used as a as a easy out finish. I've been realizing, as of late, some of these finishes that aren't straight roll-ups are creative. And I'm all for a creative roll-up. If you hook someone and they don't expect it in that way, especially out of their finishing move, and it's not the classic schoolboy. Those are what... I'm referring to. This was not that. So this was done well. But like I said, it was a very sloppy match. But Carrie Singh got the win. Now, before this match, Stephanie McMahon came on the screen and announced that being that Sasha was never actually, she didn't actually beat Asuka at Extreme Rules and Asuka didn't beat Sasha Banks at Extreme Rules. So the rematch is going to take place tomorrow night on Raw. And the stipulations are the title can change hands by pinfall, submission, countout, disqualification, and r- any run-ins, which kind of makes sense with the disqualification thing. So it's going to be one-on-one, Sasha and Asuka, and I ha- think that they're going to tear the-, the house down tomorrow night. Another quick swig of beer here. Now... We have this title match set for tomorrow night. Here, Carrie Sane has defeated Bailey, who's the SmackDown Women's Champion. We'll get to the SmackDown Women's title in a minute, but I don't see the point in Carrie Sane defeating Bailey unless it's going to lead her to a title match, which, as of now, it it's not. For all we know, tomorrow night. That could happen. 
Finally, in the main event of the show, the Big Show wrestled Randy Orton in an unsanctioned match. This match was okay. Big Show's for as good of shape as he's in these days. He's he's getting slow. I know he just had a hip replacement about two years ago, but he was he was taking a little bit moving his way around the ring, especially when he's working with Randy Orton. Now, the thing that I wasn't a, a big fan of was the fact that there was interference from Angel Garza and Andrade, which then caused the Viking Raiders to come out and, and spin that off into something else. Now, Orton hit an RKO on the big show for a kickout. Not too often does anybody kick out of the RKO, let alone on pay-per-view. Now, granted, this was supposed to be on pay-per-view, but they put it on the TV for a rating. Eventually, they do some interesting stuff here. Uh, Big Show misses a Vader bomb off the top rope through a table. And then eventually Orton lays him out over the top rope, several chair shots to the back. And then he does that draping DDT, which he usually does off the middle rope. But this time with Big Show, he did it off of the top rope. Orton's a professional. He protected him, but Take into consideration a 370-pound guy that's 47 years old. Gravity works in a way where he's going to get pulled really, really quick. So you still got to cringe a little bit knowing the possibility of what could happen there. That got followed up by a second RKO, uh, and then that's where Orton got the pin. Then he hit the punt. You know, I love the I've always loved the punt and I'm glad that it's gotten brought back because that was really what made. That was what made the legend killer and that was how he finished everybody off. I'm very happy that that was the direction uh that they took that. All in all, Raw was a good show considering what we watched on Sunday, but Building up to SummerSlam, there's still nothing here that I really want to see. And that's kind of the repeating pattern with, with WWE right about now. There's nothing that I really want to see. When we get to an Impact and when we get to Dynamite, there's things that I want to see on those cards. SummerSlam right now isn't looking like something that I really want to take time out of my Sunday night to watch. I'm sure you can convince me with a few beers and, and, and Dan or somebody that we're going to watch it with. But all in all, I'm more invested in all of the other shows and the other the other products that are out there, like Impact Wrestling. So Impact Wrestling this week starts off with a rematch between Chris Bay and Willie Mack, which Chris Bay still retains the title. I didn't think this was as good of a match or told as good of a story as they did on the pay-per-view Saturday. Not a bad match but they didn't have as much time. Moving on, the Good Brothers finally come out and, and cut a promo here. They're spinning them off with Ace Austin and Madman Fulton. Now, here's my concern with this. Ace Austin is a star waiting to happen. I've been singing his praises for weeks on this show. Right now, obviously... They don't have him in a title picture. So what better role for him 
than in the first feud, essentially, of the Good Brothers. World-known tag team, New Japan, multiple tag team champions, part of the original Bullet Club, giant WWE run, a lot of hype coming in around them. Put him with them. But my thing is Impact Wrestling's not dumb like WWE. WWE will pay a lot of guys money under a contract so they can lose every week, but just to say that they had him on contract for one month for them to pull the trigger on him and just let him be the champion for a month. I don't see how this helps Ace Austin out because to me, the obvious winners of this feud have to be the Good Brothers. Not not Ace Austin. So I don't get, do you then beat Madman Fulton? Which then, there's my second argument here. Madman Fulton is, besides Gallows, he's the biggest guy on the roster. You're going to, you're going to destroy, essentially, your, your, your big man that just broke out of a stable that he was in on his own. So instead of giving him the opportunity to shine as well, you put them right into this. That's my problem with this feud here is the fact that you have the Good Brothers who are already established but now need to establish their dominance and impact, which I'm sure they're going to do. And then you have these two young guys who they could have used to build up, taking on maybe the Rascals, Triple XL, the Deaners. Uh, but no, you're not going to get that. What we are going to get is this coming week on Impact, we're going to get the Good Brothers versus Reno Scum. Now, Reno Scum is a team that has been around for a very long time. They were in Impact back in the days uh, when they were doing the quick merger with GFW, and they've been back for a couple of months now. But they used them to attack Gallows and Anderson later on in this show, which was kind of weird, but I guess it gives, gives them a reason to be able to have a match. Uh, this week on Impact, it's a stacked card. So... We're already going to get a, an update on Rich Swan, which is good because he came back after that year and Eric Young took him out and they're building this feud, which Eric Young is rejuvenated. Love what he's doing now in Impact. We're going to have Deanna Perrazzo, the new knockout champion in a non-title match against Kimberly. We have the Good Brothers versus Reno Scum and we have Eddie Edwards defending the world title against Trey. Now, Eddie Edwards on this show, he came out and cut a promo basically where he says that he wants to be a champion that's going to be defending this title every week. Now, the one thing that I'll say about Impact Wrestling is it, this show and Slammiversary seemed like they finally were able to steer the ship back normal, probably because they have a world champion again. They haven't had a world title match since maybe March. I don't even know if Tessa Blanchard ever defended that title on TV, but she was in a lot of the matches. So the um, fact that now we have a world champion, something that we can build around, something that people can be building up to work around. We can start feuds and you can build guys from underneath to eventually get there. Because Impact Wrestling and AEW kind of had that same model. They don't start this month to build to a pay-per-view that's in three months. We have a lot of um, what would be pay-per-view-esque shows, but as part of our normal TV weekly show. So you build up to them to make those weeks special, 
but then people get them for free. So this way, when you actually get the pay-per-views, people are willing to buy them because not only is there only three, maybe four a year, but you know that those are going to be really special. I like that model. But here, I think we're going to get a lot, just like Cody's been defending the TNT title, Eddie Edwards is going to be defending the world title, which is great. You don't see a lot of companies putting the world title on TV every week, every other week. And it could be good for, for this company. Two more things to talk about on Impact this week that I, I liked. Well, I don't know how I feel about it. Let's put it that way. I, I, I like the execution. Didn't know how I liked the setup. The beginning of the show, they announced that EC3 claims that he will be on the show tonight. Moose defends the TNA world title against Falabaugh after the match. Moose is up facing the hard camera up against the ropes and from behind slides in what's obviously EC3. He's got a towel over his head and he reveals the towel and then hits a finish. He hits um, a finisher on EC3 and then runs out of the, the ring and jumps the guardrail. That I don't get. The story with Heath is that Heath is not under contract, which is why Heath can't be in the building. It's obvious EC3 is signed because these promos are airing and they're saying, oh, he's going to be here tonight. So why is he running away? What does EC3, who is literally the most pissed off wrestler in the world right now, have to run for? I don't think the EC3 should talk for a while. Eventually let him talk. But right now, I think you're going to get a very, very almost reminiscent to Taz in the 90s in ECW. Just a guy who's pissed off. A guy who started in the WWE NXT system years ago as a real weird character named Derek Bateman. Who only left the company because he was unhappy with himself, with what they were doing with him there. Only to go to TNA, get shot right into the main event as their top heel, as the nephew of the hated owner of the company, legit owner of the company, to being their world champion, to being such a good heel after so many years that the crowd turned him babyface, had a good run, and then left and went to WWE, finally thought that they were going to do the right thing with him, and then he sat on the sidelines. He had a cup of coffee in NXT, which is where you thought he was going to strive and actually get a world title feud, which he never got because he was only there for two months before they brought him up to the main roster for the second roster split. And he won his first match, lost his second match, and then never recovered. I think the last time you saw him was chasing the 24-7 title. The main event of this show was tremendous. The North, the longest reigning Impact World Tag Team Champions in history against the Motor City Machine Guns, Chris Saban and Alex Shelley. The Motor City Machine Guns win this match. This was a great match. But I'm a fan of them putting the belts back on the guns for several reasons. One, it's fresh. It's new. Two, you're looking to give credibility and gain your audience back. 
The Motor City Machine Guns have been a team since 2006. They were there on the upswing of TNA, and they were there on the downswing of TNA. But they are a known act. Alex Shelley and Chris Saban. And the Motor City Machine Guns are... They've always been a, a, a loved team. Wherever it was Ring of Honor, New Japan that they were working, this was what they did. So... Going out of this, I'm assuming that the North is going to get a rematch. The North will probably lose them. The Motor City Machine Guns, at this point, their job, in my opinion, is going to be to get these other teams over. Now, Impact really kind of has a stacked tag team division at this point. So if I'm looking at companies outside of WWE, everybody's really focusing on tag team wrestling, which is great. I've retweeted something, actually, from uh, Dax Harwood of the FTR, formerly The Revival, where he has a page from an old NWA rulebook. And it was about tag team wrestling and all the rules of tag team wrestling. If you didn't get a chance to see that, check out our page on Twitter, at PowerBombsPPN, and just look at that. It is It, it explains everything. And the sad thing is, this is like so much of that is not the rules that are adhered to in professional wrestling anymore. Hopefully, they get more back on track with that. That's just my two cents. But the Motor City Machine Guns, Alex uh, Shelley, Chris Sabin, being the tag team champions, like I said, is the best decision uh, for the company right now. Uh, the North, tremendous. Ethan Page, Josh Alexander have had a great run. The only thing that I didn't like was that run that they did with the Deaners a couple of months ago and that hokey uh, trailer park match that they had uh but in the ring they're tremendous ethan page you know he's a great promo he's all ego for a reason all ego ethan page is not a gimmick it is who he is uh and i'm, I'm a big fan of what they're doing I'm looking forward to the the great tv that impact wrestling has been putting on as we move on to this week's edition of dynamite before i even talk about dynamite uh i was on the Twitter today, and I saw somebody talk about the storyline that they're working with Tully Blanchard and Sean Spears over the Black Love. Now, this is something that I want to talk about because I'm realizing that this is becoming a trend with AEW. They have this program that airs on Tuesday nights on their YouTube page called AEW Dark, where... It used to be an hour show, and now it has to be at least an hour and a half, two hour show because they're putting like 12 matches a week, a week on this thing. And eventually, they bring the things to the main roster. But the thing is, is they don't always cue you in on what's happened. Perfect example. This week, the Dark Order... Evil Uno and uh, the other fuck are going to be going for the tag team titles against uh, Hangman and Kenny Omega. Now, the Dark Order is now once again being labeled as the number one contenders for the tag titles. They have not been on fucking TV, the Dynamite program, in months. 
Why the fuck are they now the number one contenders? Oh, because every single week on this dark program, they're wrestling apparently and having matches. But all I ever see every week on the television program is these two guys standing in the back as they're building around this storyline with Colt Cabana and Brody Lee, which is fine. I'm okay with this, and I've been a supporter of that storyline. However, I am not a supporter of the fucking Dark Order, this tag team of Evil Uno, and again, whatever the fuck his name is, because I can't keep track, and I don't care, because they're not good. They've never been good. And I'd rather his fat tubby ass sit in his mask, in the suit, on the stage, than being in the ring. No, no, no room for him on the television show, but they keep running these angles on the dark program and then they bring it up to the main roster like everybody watches it. That is a thing that I have an issue with because you can even hear in JR's voice. JR has no fucking clue what happens on dark because he doesn't fucking watch it. And unless they fill you in on a package building up to something, you don't know what the hell's going on either. This is where Excalibur comes in. Now, I don't have a problem with Excalibur like some people do. But the thing is, is you can tell when JR or Tony either one, don't know what the fuck's going on, or two, like it's against their religion to talk about because that's when the nonsense happens and that's where Excalibur comes in because he's got no fucking shame in talking about that. However, I feel that they need to do a better job besides just running the the tickers on the bottom of the show, which is a nice touch, by the way of the matches and the results from Dark the Night Before. My thing is this. When we're getting things like debuts of Brian Pillman Jr., why, is, why isn't that on the TV? Why is that on the free YouTube show that doesn't fucking matter about your ratings? That's where my disconnect is. So we start off the show with Cody in an open challenge for the TNT title and the probably the promo of the year happened on this show and I'm just going to play the audio for you nah 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 no 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 we're going to get this right we're going to do Eddie this that's Eddie Kingston he's one of the dirtiest fighters in independent wrestling you talk about grinding you talk about living this rough life all that jazz no one's gonna outgrind you all that stuff my man it's easy to say that when you grew up around used to be legends like arn anderson yeah you heard me keep shooting murder ones at me and i'll knock your jaw right off your face partner you know what i grew up around you know what i grew up around alcoholics junkies i grew up around that and I had to survive. I had to grind. You couldn't last a day in my shoes. So you don't tell me nothing about grinding. You talk about the sport of pro wrestling? That's a joke. Because every person you faced has been a child. I am a grown ass man. And I will put you in the ground and smile. But here's the best part about this whole thing. The guy that you like to mention because you like to be best friends with the boss, Tony Khan, <laughs> paid me to show up. 
and now he's going to pay me to kick your ass and take that championship. Oh, yeah, you want to go? Protect the arm. I swear on my beautiful mother's eyes. If you don't shut up, I'm gouging your eye out. All right? Let me speak. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's my time now. Real easy. Real easy. Relax. You've had yours. Tony Khan said to me, you know what, King? If you want to know DQ, man, that's fine by me. Just, you know, Cody has to accept. You have to accept because either you're an egg-sucking dog or you're an egg-sucking bitch. Oh, my God, I said something. This was a promo of, whew, of extreme proportions, and this ended up being a no-DQ match. Now, for what it's worth, Eddie Kingston, to me, has never really been on my radar as the world's greatest wrestler. He's been around for a long time. Now, he first came onto my radar a couple years back in Impact. He was the the manager of the LAX, who is now Santana and Ortiz. But what they did was they split up. LAX when they brought in the original LAX of Homicide and Hernandez, who he ended up being the manager for. I did not know that Eddie Kingston was even a wrestler at that point because all I knew of him was being the manager. Great mouthpiece then, too. He was the promo guy for them both. But the one thing that I took out of that, too, and now looking back at it, the hindsight of uh, knowing what happened when he actually had to wrestle in that one match with Conan, he did what Bobby Heenan always said to do. When you are a former wrestler and you know how to wrestle, but now you're a manager, you manage like a wrestler. You advise like a wrestler would. The, 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 the cheap the cheap shots, the, the 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 trickery, stuff like that. You don't go in there like an idiot. You are the extra set of eyes, essentially, for your guy. You manage like a wrestler. However, when you actually get into the ring, you, what they refer to as, wrestle like a manager. As in, you're a coward. You're a bumping machine. You don't have a finishing move that could put people out. You run around the ring. You take your ass whipping. Not many people can actually do that. Eddie Kingston did that in his run in Impact, which is tremendous to me. Now, I know that he's been in the NWA as well. Obviously, in, in the, in the drones of people are leaving the NWA and going to AEW, or at least having these one-offs. We already have Ricky Starks there. And, and uh, now you got uh, Eddie Kingston, who we're talking about here. This match, like, it was... It was it was exciting. I wasn't thrilled with the hardcore aspect of it. The tax. Cody, I feel, consistently feels that he needs to go out and shut up his doubters. Because people have been hating on Cody for quite some time now since he's been out on his own. Especially since the birth of AEW. So... Cody gets a bad rep for that. And I think that he, like I said, he tries to outdo himself all the time. Cody took bumps on these tacks several times. Again, this was on TV, not even on pay-per-view. Just doing it for a rating to open the show. Now, don't get me wrong. 
the ratings this week was the highest rating for a TV show for impact in a very uh, impact for AEW in a very long time. They won the demographic and there was points in this show where their rating and the demographic beat all three WWE shows this week. So there's something to it. They're starting to get their stride back again and, and things might be going AEW's way. It's just such a weird time in wrestling where one week a show can be doing really well in the ratings and then the next week it, it's not. It's just how it's been going. But in the end, Cody ends up winning this match. Now, it could have fallen short on time due to the fact that, you know, Eddie Kingston came out and cut a two-minute promo, but the promo was necessary. The promo is what hooked anybody who was maybe flipping through the channels or just seeing how they were going to start off the show. Some people literally are what they were, you know, they're casual fans. Not to mention sports started back this week too. So it's like, oh, let's see what's happening. All right. Within three minutes, you have this guy cutting a real life promo. I think anybody who was actually watching that would have stayed to watch this match. Just out of the pure... Um, the hook of the delivery of Eddie Kingston. Bravo, well done on that one. MJF in a squash match this week. Love it. Still undefeated in this company, except for his one tag team loss. The Butcher and the Blade versus the Young Bucks in a Falls Count Anywhere match. This match started in the kitchen. Of course, naturally, they were... Butchering meat in the kitchen where this started. Can't make this shit up. They fought all over Daly's place and the TIAA stadium. There was even a trailer that had Mud Show written on it, which love the nod that they acknowledged Jim Cornette. I'm, I'm a Jim Cornette guy. Don't always agree with his antics and stuff like that, but half the stuff that he does... And he knows it's for shtick because he knows that he's got people listening to him. Isn't that what we're all in the business for? You want the people to listen to you? You know? If, if, if somebody's sitting there, and this is a side rant on Jim Cornette, but think about this. If you're running a business that has advertisers where you're making money, if you're running a business where you're selling merchandise and things, which makes you money, and... Your biggest platform is your podcast where you have hundreds of thousands of listeners every single week to listen to your rants. Well, you're going to you're going to not go off on a tangent every week. No, that's fucking stupid. Use your head, people. <laughs> that's why I like Jim Cornette, because he is like what they said in Howard Stern's private parts. I want to see what he'll say next. And that's why other people listen to him as well. This match ends in the very end where. The Butcher and the Blade are each set up on their own tables right in front of each individual entrance ramp. And the Jacksons both climb each entrance ramp and jump off of them through the Butcher and the Blade. Matt Jackson got pretty beat up legitimately after this, so he might even be out for a little bit. It just... I don't see the need for things like that. Maybe for pay-per-view. Again, why for television? Why does everybody need to act for television these days? That's just my thing. AEW has been great 
with building up women and bringing them in and having them lose because they're losing. But the thing is, is you have somebody come in that is meant to be a big deal, or at least that's the perception they're giving. So then when somebody else comes in and beats them, it makes the other person as big of a deal as you made the other person. And that's tremendous booking. Diamante versus Ivelisse. They've been building up Ivelisse and they brought in uh, Diamante. Now, Ivelisse uh, was on Tough Enough one of these seasons. I think the most recent one a couple years back that they did. It's where WWE got a lot of people that they currently have, including Sonya Deville, Man- Mandy Rose, uh, Velveteen Dream even came from that one, just to name a few. Um, but in the end of this, uh, Diamante ended up winning this match. Fascinating. Sorry for the uh, the noise in the background. That's just uh, Dan and Steve being being part of the boys. If you know, you know. But uh, that's that's that. Uh, but I like how they did that. They did the same thing the other week with um, Anna J. So um, Adam Page wins a match here, and they the Dark Order comes out. And they try to get him to join the Dark Order. He tells them that he's not ready to join a cult. And then this is when FTR hits the ring to make the save. And then Kenny Omega shows up later. So like we talked about last week, FTR, the drink, the new drinking buddies of Hangman Page are out to make the save, but not his own tag team partner. Once again, building building the, the potential animosity between them because his own partner's not there for him. Swig a beer. All right here. So that was interesting. I don't, I'm, I'm oh, that, I mean, that made sense, I guess you could say, with the buildup, like we talked about earlier, because this week, Kenny and Hangman are defending the tag titles against the Dark Order. I don't see them dropping the titles, though. The main event on this show was Jericho and Jake Hager versus Jurassic Express, which this week was Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy, which is what it should always be. Keep Marco's son off my fucking screen. And this match was all the the normal fun stuff that you'd expect it to be. Uh, In the end, uh, it ends with Jericho hitting a code breaker on Luchasaurus for the win. In the end, what ends up happening more, though, is an attack afterwards on the Lucha Express, Jurassic Express, Lucha Express. It's been a long, long Sunday, but I have to get this program out to you. Uh, And under the mask, after a 450 splash, it is the returning Sammy Guevara. Now, we talked about this in our quick sips portion of the show. They had to punish Sammy Guevara. But my thing is, is if they were going to punish him for what he did, I still feel 30 days wasn't long enough. That's just me. That's just me. Because even when he came back, they're like, oh, his 30 days is up. And it's like, wait, since when has it been a 30-day suspension? They always worded it as he's going to go away for a while. And when we see fit, he'll be back. And then he's back, and now it's, yeah, yeah, it was only a 30-day suspension. Gotcha on that one, but, you know, we gave him a old slapski on the wrist right there. 
I'm not really a fan of that. It, that kind of just shows that there's not as much discipline as there needs to be um, in the AEW uh, stable of things. Now, this week on the program, we're going to have uh, Hikaru Shida defending. Um, well, she's not. I don't know. I, I said that backwards. Uh, it's going to be a non title match against uh, Diamante this week after getting that win last week. So that's. Uh, Exciting for that. We're going to get Cody versus Warhorse. Now, I know nothing about Warhorse, but since these open challenges have began, the social media fans have been screaming for Warhorse. And they're going to get him this week. Warhorse has gone on the record and said that he is going to defeat and take the TNT title from Cody in five minutes. So... I'm intrigued. The dude looks like he's got an interesting look, got face paint and stuff like that. It's not something you normally see these days. One of these weeks, I again, I don't see Warhorse winning. I could see, and I'd love to see it, and this is just me, I'd love to see Matt Cardona make his debut eventually in one of these matches and be the one that takes the belt from Cody. Because Matt Cardona has never been given a fair share of things. He won the U.S. title from Dolph Ziggler and then got thrown off of a freaking ramp and then was in a neck brace and in a wheelchair. Lost the U.S. title. He won the Intercontinental title. Lost it the next night. Matt Cardona. Is like six two six three, jacked. He's put on muscle and weight since then. He is literally, he would have been right in the mix in the nineties of pro pro wrestling. He's put on the muscle. He's he's tried to create himself uh, more of a new look, and the only thing that makes sense for him is to go to AEW. He's very good friends with Cody, and he's finally, I feel, going to get his fair share. But knowing AEW, he's going to make his debut on an episode of fucking Dark and not actually on the TV. But I'd love to have that surprise with him on the Dynamite program. That's all I'm going to say for that. So on to NXT, I, we talked in the quick sips that they started this show with Keith Lee relinquishing the uh, North American title. What I hated about this was, and I went, I, I tweeted about this Wednesday night, is if you were going to have him drop the belt, he needed to immediately drop the belt. Last week on TV, he defended both titles against Dominic Dijakovic. And after one defense, they have him drop it now, which says to me that they didn't know what the fuck they were doing. And they make up their own shit on the fly. And they're just like, oh, we can take the belt off him at this point. Well, who the fuck cares? It's consistency. That's all we want. In any book, movie, TV show, even pro wrestling, you're telling a story. But the story needs consistency. If the story that they're telling is that he's not going to keep both belts, then he instantly needs to get rid of both belts and not create the false pretense that he's going to be defending both of these belts until eventually he loses one or both. 
again, horrible WWE thought process and booking in that situation here. The only reason I'm talking about this next thing is because I found it quite interesting. Mercedes Martinez made the save for Robert Stone this week and took out Shotzi Blackheart, and then she proceeded to join the Robert Stone brand. Now, Aaliyah's not a good talker. Robert Stone can talk till he's blue in the face. We know that that guy is full of hot air and can talk. Mercedes Martinez, she could talk. She cut a promo the other the other week, or it was a vignette. It was one of the two things, but she's convincing. She's a badass, and she's a veteran. I don't see why she needs to be here, because she needs to be a heel. If she ends up turning on Robert Stone and Aaliyah, that makes her a babyface, which is fucking stupid, especially this early in her run. So I'm not really sure as to the reason why this is, like, if Aaliyah's the wrestler and Robert Stone's the manager and maybe Mercedes Martinez is the bodyguard of the man. I, I don't know what the plan is with that, but I just found it very interesting that right out of the gate, they're putting Mercedes Martinez with that. We talked about earlier with the triple threat ladder match. So there was qualifying matches on this show. One was Roderick Strong versus Bronson Reed versus Johnny Gargano. And Bronson Reed ended up winning this match. So he's going to go to the NXT uh, ladder match at TakeOver 30 the night before SummerSlam, which I believe is August 22nd. It was actually a pretty good match considering, you know, what was in, in the ring there. There was only Lorcan again versus Timothy Thatcher. These two tore it up the other week. And they had another great match, which ended with uh, Lorcan uh, being hooked in a wrist lock, and he got his he got pinned to the mat by Thatcher, who also was able to grab a handful of tights. Tremendous work there again. Timothy Thatcher is a stud because, and what makes him special is that nobody is a grappler. A bear wrestler. This guy just, he doesn't wear knee pads. He just wears tights and he wears traditional boots. He's missing teeth. He looks like he friggin' hasn't showered in a month. But it's just, he's a rugged looking motherfucker. And I dig it. Doing great stuff there. The main event on this show is Dominic Dijakovic versus Karrion Cross. Cross took a beating in this match. A lot of selling from Cross, a lot of chance that he might actually lose this match, which obviously he wasn't going to, but it was interesting that they gave that spot to Dijakovic. I guess being that if you're going to put him into the title match, you can't have him run over Keith Lee, so you need to show him being able to be vulnerable to other people. Now, this is going to hark me back into bringing up to why did you have to have him run over Tommaso Ciampa? at TakeOver In Your House, but that's obviously a different story. But still, I complained about it then. I'm still going to complain about it now because Tommaso Ciampa has been one of your main eventers for a couple years now. In the end, Karrion Cross ends up, you know, for wrestling's sake, beating the fuck out of Dominic Dijakovic, which even brought Keith Lee out. And uh, Dijakovic wouldn't give up. And finally... Passed out in the, the the cross jacket 
to lose the match to Karrion Cross, which is obviously where they're going with Keith Lee and Karrion Cross for the world title, probably a takeover 30. So yeah, I'm all for Karrion Cross showing vulnerability here and, and that he could actually potentially get beat. I mean, Karrion Cross is a good wrestler. Always has been. From the days that like he came onto my radar, which was actually watching uh, House of Hardcore shows years ago when he was on the indies, to being signed by Impact. He had that run in Impact, which they really didn't do anything with, I, I feel, in Impact. And things got just messy with him and Scarlett when they were both trying to get out of their contracts and they weren't showing up to shows and stuff like that. But whatever, at this point, water under the bridge there. I still feel that he, they're, they're, they're eventually, they're grooming Keith Lee to come to the main roster and Karrion Cross is going to be the untouchable heel for a long time. It worked with Adam Cole, but the difference is, is Karrion Cross. Compared to Adam Cole, body-wise, intensity-wise, two different people. You can build Karrion Cross for a year as your champion, your heel champion, and you won't need help. You can convincingly beat people, and then eventually you have somebody beat him. And that's just my take on that. Quick swig of beer. So that's it for NXT. We're going to quick end this show talking about Friday Night SmackDown. Again, the main event on this show was a match that was supposed to be on Extreme Rules, and that's a bar fight between Jeff Hardy and Sheamus. Now, other things that happen on this program, Sasha Banks and Bailey are out here, and Nikki Cross comes out pissed off and says that she needs another shot at the SmackDown Women's title. Bailey tells her that She'll get a shot if she beats Alexa Bliss, her tag team partner, on this show. So immediately, Nikki Cross shoves Alexa Bliss down and storms to the ring. They have this match, and Nikki ends up winning with a roll-up here. This was one of those roll-ups that was a roll-up for the sake of a roll-up. So I'll say it. Nikki wins with another roll-up. Hated that. I don't know how I feel about Alexa Bliss being the beaten-down babyface at this point. It's weird to me after her being the heel for so long that she's now in the vulnerable babyface spot. But it's different. It might take some time to get used to. But she also has been in this tag team since she's been a babyface. So she hasn't really had time to be in a main one-on-one feud as a babyface. So that'll be interesting when we finally get to that uh, down the line. Again, Nikki Cross wins this. So um, this match is going to end up happening, is it this week? I don't even have that in front of me uh, with Nikki Cross and Bailey for the SmackDown women's title. So <sighs> Matt Riddle had a match with Tony Nese on this one. Matt Riddle squashed him. Made really quick work of him. And then he got on the, the mic and cut a promo. And when I was watching this, my thought process is either Vince McMahon loves this guy because of the fact that he like looks like a Greek god, but he's a good-looking young dude with the long hair, and he could be you know mistaken for Jeff Spicoli. But here... Matt Riddle calls out 
uh, Corbin. And Corbin basically cuts a promo and says that, you know, he'll basically, I guess, reward anybody who takes out uh, Matt Riddle, which is kind of weird. And he blind feeds into a kick uh, for uh, Tony Knees and takes him out. Whatever. But I'm not sure what they're going to do now with Matt Riddle. Besides, I mean, obviously, I do know. I take that back. They're building a feud with him and Corbin. And Corbin is a good hand. But the problem is, is Corbin has become that guy that they feed people to when they don't know what to do with them. And they put a, put him in a feud that always seems to go too long. It's never just a stop feud that's a, a quick hit for a month and you're in and you're out. They seem to just drag on forever and ever. And that's my only complaint with that. Other things that I really actually cared about on this show or found interesting is that the New Day has now come out and said, well, obviously Xavier Woods is still nursing an injury. Kofi Kingston, I don't know if it's a work or a shoot, claims he's going to be out for six weeks from injuries from the pay-per-view in Extreme Rules, the tables match. So they're hyping up that now Big E is going to be getting a singles run. Saying that, you know, he's been selfless through everything, through all the tag title runs, through Kofi's WWE title run. He's always put everybody in the team before him, and they believe in him to finally get this opportunity. So I found that interesting. He doesn't actually wrestle on this, but I guess they're going to be working towards that. But I, I, I like the idea of what they could do there. In the main event, they shot a cinematic wrestling match inside of a bar in Orlando with Jeff Hardy and Sheamus. And this was just weird. It had everything from Sheamus showing up dressed up like in an Irish suit with a fucking hat on and suspenders to him and Jeff Hardy wrestling and him putting Jeff Hardy's head in a urinal and flushing it repeatedly to Jeff Hardy getting laid out in the middle of the floor of this bar. Sheamus putting said hat over Jeff Hardy's face. He goes around to the back of the bar, chugs a Guinness, then goes back around. Jeff Hardy now magically has face paint on, puts Sheamus on a table and does a swanton off of a bunch of uh, wine barrels through Sheamus to get the three count. Yes, This was a match, and there was a three count, and that's how it ended. However, now this feud is at one-on-one, which says to me that, yeah, unfortunately, it's going to continue. I think Jeff Hardy is probably thinking to himself, I only have, what, eight months, nine months left on my contract, and he's going to be AEW bound, I'm sure. Because this is just, for the first time in his career, he is being punished because of something that Matt did. Which is always the opposite of what happened to Matt, where he would get punished for things that Jeff did. And then Jeff would come back and Jeff would get world title matches and stuff. Either way, this week, AEW and Impact, number one, WWE, Huck to Iron Sheik style. I'm not thrilled for SummerSlam like we talked about. A lot of good TV coming up this week for um, AEW and Impact, so definitely keep your eye out and watch those. Our other podcast, 
Pucks and potables, process potables, new stuff. I'm sure it's coming your way. The Sixers looking great in these first two scrimmages. Hockey starting in two weeks. Basketball officially, I believe, starts next week. We're going to have a lot of brand new content on the Podcast Potables Network. Make sure you're subscribing. Make sure you're following everybody. There's a little bit for everybody, and we're consistently finding new stuff. We have... Uh, Power Ups and Potables, our video game podcast. We have Polyphony and Potables, our music podcast. And we're just consistently coming out with new content of things to pair with everybody's favorite thing, alcohol, as we get through it. All right. So until next week, I hope everybody has a great week. Till then, make sure you all stay safe and stay over. Talk to you then. Bye.